Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. When was the last time any one of us attended a conference? It's been a while for a number of us, but we're starting to see it come back. Well, the meetings and events industry has been deeply affected by COVID, as has been hotels, travel, and everything else. And we don't know when the next in-person event's likely to be, although I'm starting to see some hints of it, certainly for December and January coming back on strong. But I even got an event request coming up in July, which is great. With everyone going to virtual events, will we ever feel comfortable attending large gatherings? Well, we're going to talk about that in this show. And we do with Karina Bauer. She's the CEO of IMAX, which runs two of the largest global trade shows for the $1 trillion business events industry. We're not talking B or M. We're talking T, trillion. She has been recognized as one of the 25 most influential people in the meetings industry. And we are so glad and so honored to have her right here. Karina, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. It's clear the industry's had a massive shift because of COVID. Um, How's it impacted IMAX? I believe you've canceled your upcoming show in Las Vegas. What's it going to do to you? It's not something that a conventional trade show organizer does lightly. What we do is work all year round to put on a great event for our community. And so to cancel it is really very difficult. And, um, you know, it's both a personal, emotional decision, as well as a very difficult business decision. Uh, Without question. You know, and a lot of people take their lead from you. I mean, certainly the IMAX group, I mean, it sets the tone for the business industry, business meetings, trade shows, conventions, expos around the world. So uh, I would imagine a lot of people were looking at you really tight. How many phone calls were you getting a day that were coming in saying, are you doing it? Are you doing it? Is it going? Is it happening? Absolutely. Well, a lot. Um, And the whole team were getting a lot of calls and emails asking whether we could put it off. And as you say, really, we knew that as um, the event that brings the entire global community together, in a way, we were a a beacon of hope. You know, if we could go ahead, then it gives hope that the whole industry can get going again. So there's a lot of responsibility um, in taking that position. But we also feel that felt we had to lead from the front in giving our industry a lot of notice as to what was happening and so making that decision early is difficult as well because of course you want to leave it as long as possible to see what the situation on the ground is Uh, but we also felt from a leadership position we needed to allow the industry time to really um, reallocate their budgets uh, reallocate their plans and, and make sure that they didn't spend money that they wouldn't be able to get back. So what are some of the ways that you're working with the folks that you work with to advance the industry when you're no longer meeting together, right? In per- at least in person, you know, you got, how are you innovate? How do you innovate? Yeah, so what we did when we um, had to cancel the Frankfurt show in May was we actually pivoted very quickly to doing an, a fully online event. 
Um, and um, it was more than an event. It's really an experience. We called it Planet IMEX. We wanted to take it away from it trying to be a replacement for the live event because I don't really believe that that is possible to do. But what we did want to do was to bring our community together, to give them the ability to uh, meet online, to network with each other, to have some of those business conversations, to experience content and to have a little bit of fun and joy. So that was really the key aspects of the experience we delivered in May and and we're working now to do a similar thing in the autumn and I think it's important to not try to take your live event and replace that online because I don't think that's possible but it's about looking at elements of the live event and seeing what you can deliver in that online world and for us really it's about continuing to um, help the industry um, make and, and, and cultivate those connections between each other uh, right across the world because our our um, base is you know comes from 150 countries uh, both our suppliers and our and our buyers um, but also help them to navigate what this new world looks like and so putting out content trends and, and making sure we connect in our industry partners or our all the industry associations and organizations that we work with and giving them a platform as well uh, to connect with the global industry. Yeah, I, I like what you said about virtual. You know, I it's like I talk about people when I go live here, I call it a live cast because it's different than, you know, a broadcast, right? You know, it just means I'm going to a smaller group on a different platform. But, you know, everyone said, oh, let's do a virtual event. But they're different. It's not the same. It's like, it's, you know, I, and it's like, it's like I would be dating a robot instead of a real person. It's just not the same. How are, how are you reconfiguring or doing it differently? I'm very interested in the trade show portion because a lot of people are really trying to, oh, recon, you know, to do that online. And, and everybody keeps saying, Jeff, what do you think? And I, I got to be honest with you. I tell everybody it's not going to work. You know, it's, it's tough. It's like, I'm not sure that it will work. I don't get the same experience. I, when I go to a trade show, I want to touch the product. I want to see the product. I, and it's going to be difficult to do that in a virtual setting. Yeah, we didn't try to do that in May um, is the is the easy answer, uh, whether we look to see what you can do on the online world. But I think for us, it's about not trying to replicate that trade show floor online. So, so what you want to do is find a different way to connect the suppliers with the buyers. Um, but honestly, it, it was hard. You know, we learned a lot. Delivering content online, that's possible. Delivering content in an engaging way. Um, allowing participants to sort of do peer networking is, you know, difficult but possible. Um, but the interactions, you know, so before an IMEX show, the month before the show, our 4,000 buyers make 70,000 appointments with our exhibitors. And those are the known appointments that we know are taking place on the show floor. Right. That doesn't include, you know, all the serendipitous um, conversations. It doesn't include the meetings that are set outside of our system. Um, so you could probably double or, or triple that. Um, we did introduce a system which was an AI matching system. And, you know, we, there were 1,500 appointments that got made uh, over a 10-day period. So we were happy with that. But, you know, that that's in, in no way a replica um, of our live trade show environment. And what we didn't try to do was set up these sort of uh, 3D booths. Um, 
maybe, you know, with more time and with learning, we could do that better. And the whole industry and the digital scope uh, space could, could learn to do that better. Uh, but I don't think it's a replacement. I'd prefer to look at what we can do online to enhance and extend our live shows and extend those the benefits of the live shows, because I, I don't think you can replace human interaction. Right. And, and that's really where our industry comes in. It's creating human experiences that lead to business results. That's what we do. Um, and you can enhance that with technology, but I don't believe you can replace it fully with technology. Well, speaking of human interaction, I need to take an ad interaction break, and I'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back live and we're live casting on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. I'm talking with Karina Bauer, the CEO of IMAX Group, talking about the $1 trillion industry around expos and meetings. And we know that's where business happens. And we're talking about that in a live interaction. Did you take the software? I assume you must have a meeting software where people are able to book those pre-meetings and then make that open it up so that people could do it over a period of time. And are you going to continue that? Yes, so we actually stitched together about six different technology solutions, wow. one of which was um, our existing software where people can make appointments. That was the least successful part of what we did. And yeah. so that was interesting because our software is proprietary. We've built it over a number of years to work really well for what we do, which is a live trade show environment, with which is very business focused and, and which has all those appointments taking place. And when it turned just to digital, although we made some tweaks, didn't really work. The software that worked better was uh, one of our exhibitors who um, came in with us and that had an AI matching system. And that was really, we didn't try to make that about business. It was more about peer-to-peer connections. So people could put into that things that they were interested in discussing. Uh, it was more issue-based. And then people got matched for to, to discuss those kind of issues. I'm sure some business took place, but it was less business focused and that was more successful. What we actually also did was engage a local um, tech provider. So we created a whole new world um, uh, in a gaming platform. And so what we were really trying to do was create an exploratory, fun, joyful environment where we could pull all these different things together from education to peer-to-peer networking to even social media interactions like our IMEX run. Um, So we looked at every portion of the show and and worked out what that would mean content-wise in in a digital sphere uh, and made it very fun and engaging. Uh, In terms of the future, yes, we'll definitely keep that element of the platform. We'll keep building that. We've had a lot of interest for people to engage and and exhibitors of ours to engage in it because it's very unique and it's different to what anybody else is doing. Uh, But we are looking to see how how can we best um, drive that for that connection and and community aspect. So I have to ask, I'm just thinking about the sheer impact. You got to cancel Frankfurt or move Frankfurt. Let's just say move. You know, you got to change it, right? You got to change the Vegas event. Right. Do you you have insurance for that? I'm kind of curious to know whether or not you had that extent and does it cover it? You know, everyone's talking about, you know, at least in the U.S., we're seeing the PPP loans. We're seeing ways to help us with um, and the government's done a fairly decent job of this. I got to give them credit for that because they could have made it a lot worse and spent a lot better 
better. And it, it's literally saved, you know, millions of businesses. There are still millions affected by it without question, but do you have insurance for something like that? I mean, how do it, it's, and I, I just having, uh, we run over 150 events ourselves for the C-suite network moving an event is just a huge, huge undertaking. So I'm kind of curious, first of all, insurance, do you have insurance for that? Yes, so um, there are lots of insurances, as you know, for events, all the small print. Uh, we did have pandemic insurance. Wow. So um, for our... Who, frank- got credit for, who got credit for that? Seriously. Actually, was that you, your dad? Who? I mean, who was it in the operation that got credit for that that just walked in and said, uh, look here. Read right here. Abs- yeah, abs- actually, it was our former CFO, and uh, we're still in touch with her. She worked for my dad for 30 years. She left us a year ago, and uh, I called her and I said, thank you. I-, I actually called her and said thank you before I knew whether it would be valid, because we had pandemic insurance, but it still relies upon the government not to allow the event to take place or the venue not to allow the event to take place. So when we cancelled, we didn't. Uh, the Frankfurt show, we didn't know that that insurance would kick in, but we knew we had a chance. Uh, for Frankfurt, that insurance um, has started to to come through. Um, it, it's a very long, slow process negotiating yeah. with the insurers. For America, uh, for our US show, uh, again, we have the same clause, but we don't know whether it will be valid or not and, and, and how they will see it at this point. The insurers would like you to not make the call until you've had the discussions. But because of the way events work, because of the lead time, it's not possible to wait until the day before the show to see whether the government um, of the state will allow uh, an event of that size to take place. You know, we had to you have to protect your community. And so um, that's the difficulty, I think, uh, with those kind of insurances and and that lack of understanding of that lead time. We know that we're lucky that we had paid a lot of money for those insurances uh, and, and we've always um, taken a lot of different insurances out we've always had insurances around terrorism and things like mm-hmm. that as well uh, but you know all we do are those two shows and so for that reason you know we we've taken every insurance that we could that we could get for them and in this situation obviously grateful that we did you know, and you, and you bring up something, especially on the state, you know, like let's say the state side, let's just set Frankfurt aside and just look at the United States. You know, you got to determine whether or not they say they're open for business, not open for business, when they're open for business, at what degrees they're open. I mean, it, it's affected my own business in the state of South Dakota because we, she never, the governor never forced a closure of all the businesses. So there's certain aid uh, things that we're not entitled to that someone three miles away in another state can get and has access to. So and the, the other piece I think that's kind of cool with this or interesting from a learning, it's not cool because it's this, this sucks. Uh, even if you got insurance, it sucks. It sucks. Right. You, you would agree with that as a CEO. Absolutely. Yeah. Even I though you get it's payment. devastating because um, you know you you also don't know what you can rely upon, how large the payment would be. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. So it's it's a it's a pretty devastating position for an event business to be in. Well, let me take a quick break. I want to come back and I want to talk about all the spinoff business that doesn't occur when you don't have an event like this because it that's the massive part, I think. So we'll be right back after this message. C-suite radio. 
Hey, we're back and live. Thank you so much for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. We're talking about the meeting and event industry, expos, everything. If you don't know, this is the main way. This is the biggest budget item that I typically have outside of advertising for a B2B business. When I was a chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak, you know, I would go to an event and spend $4 million at an expo. And people would say, are you nuts? You know, I actually spent a lot more than that. You take that times about, mm, I don't know, 30, 30. That was my budget for all my trade shows, probably worldwide, fairly heavy. And, but we were just talking before the break and I'm talking with Karina Bauer, the CEO of IMAX Group, which is the, the premier organization that really leads uh, events worldwide with two major shows in Frankfurt and Las Vegas just had to move their May event, just moved their September event in Las Vegas. I mean, when they, it's almost as big as Comdex, almost as big as uh, CES, I think, isn't it? You guys take up everything. No, not in size, actually. Maybe in reputation, but not in size. <laughs> it's big. Well, I know in the meeting industry, it's big. It's, it's, it's massive. It and a big part of it, and of course, my, my my former business partner used to be Sheldon Adelson at the Venetian. So, okay. so I always used to be there during the event. Sometimes I'd be there. Be there. Now we t I was talking about the spinoff business. Now, folks, listen to me as you're as you're thinking about this. Now imagine that we got a big trade show in Name a City, and I'm going to show off a massive printing printing device. Now that printing device sells for a million to four million dollars. It cost me about. $80,000 to ship it to Chicago from Dayton, Ohio. And I know these numbers. Then it usually cost me in drage, just the drage fee, which was always very expensive, about $150,000 to move it from the dock, okay, to the show floor and then back again. I, I, was, I always didn't like that piece of it, right? But, but think about then the travel of the people coming in, the, the hotel business, the entertainment stuff, the, the, the staff people, the training I have to do, the, 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 you know, I might even have a private jet waiting in Chicago and fly people to Dayton to go take a tour of the plant during the, during the event. I mean, I would even do that. So there, what's, I mean, oh my gosh. And when I think about how big this is and how big a decision, does that weigh on you at all, Karina, in terms of, Oh my yes. gosh, I'm letting so many people down. Well, actually that weighed on us in terms of when we made decisions because we yeah. know that say, um, say an exhibitor spends, uh, you know, $50,000 on their booth space with us. They're probably spending five, six, seven times that on their I'm total participation. And so although we said to our exhibitors, you know, if the show can't take place, we will refund you. Um, they can't necessarily get back all of those other costs. And so that does weigh heavily in terms of making the right decisions at the right times. And um, that is a big responsibility. The other thing I'd say is, you know, ultimately a, a trade show organizer, our job is to ensure that our exhibitors and then the buyers who attend get ROI. Sometimes that's ROI for their monetary investment and the buyers who attend it's for their time. Um, and, and that's really what we're about. That's what we need to ensure. So if somebody is spending 50000 or $500,000 or $5 million, um, you'd hope that they have worked out the type of sales, the type of leads that they need to make as a result of that event. But the reality is that trade shows power and accelerate all the vertical markets in the world. 
And really what we want to see is governments understanding that trade shows are a very organized environment. They need to be separated from mass, the mass events category. We can run trade shows in a safe and secure way. And we can actually utilize, and the governments can utilize events and trade shows to accelerate business sectors in every single vertical. And it's that understanding that I think is really critical for politicians to understand so that if we get back to business, we can help all industries get back to business and get those sales on, on the go. Now, and let's be clear, you can, you can social distance at a trade show unlike what you can do at a, a conference, meaning it's a lot easier to do that, especially if I got a big, big iron equipment show. If I have some very big displays, there's a lot of spacing that you can do and do it safely. I would agree with that. Exactly. You know, not that these things are easy, but we can curate the audience. We can um, manage the flow into and out of the event. We can manage the capacities. We can put, you know, we already used to working in a very, um, uh, uh, health and safety conscious way. There's a lot of risk assessments that go in to, you know, if you've got forklift truss and you've got trussing and you've got things hanging from the ceiling and, and all the build of the booths. So we're used to that. So we can layer in that additional sanitation and health and safety requirements to, to run the shows in, in a safe way. Um, so we really hope that a lot of the um, politicians and governors um, and, and politicians around the world can start to work with the industry to, to help us and also all the industries we serve essentially to get back to business. And there are some industries that are totally reliant on trade shows or events to do their business. So, uh, for example, in a small way, I heard that caravan sales in the UK almost 50% of caravan sales in the UK annually take place at two events. You know, so that's it's a small example, but it just shows how important events can be for generating um, additional business. And to, and to help all the Americans, we're talking about buses, okay? Just so we just say we know, we're talking about buses. It is you know, in two thousand and eight, we had a really bad, bad economy. It gave companies an opportunity, CMOs like me, an opportunity to cut the budgets real quick, which we had to do. Do you think it's gonna? Is the meeting and can an expo business gonna bounce back after this? I think the underlying um, value of meeting face-to-face -face is um, understood probably better, actually, than in 2008 when those budgets were cut. What we saw about three years later was a lot of pent-up demand. And I think yeah. the industries had to become a bit more strategic about um, helping you know, event planners to communicate the value of meetings and events to work out their strategic priorities, essentially. So I think that is hopefully a little bit better understood. However, it goes without saying that, um, it, you know, industries, economies uh, have been very heavily impacted. And so we expect to be impacted as well. The biggest issue really is around uncertainty, uncertainty of travel and uncertainty around gatherings and timelines for that. And I think that was what will impact us um, the most greatly in the short term. You know, I think the key thing for all of us to remember in all this, it's not an either or situation, it's a win. And we've got to get back. We've got to get this entire world back to business as fast as possible, but we got to do it safe. Okay. That's just the new thing. That's all. So you wear your mask. I don't care who you are and you wear it over your nose. That's the other thing. Not just wear it, wear it over your nose and be safe and do those things. That's what we're doing. I, I want to have you back in a few months and we'll talk about, Hey, how's it going? What's going, what's going on? It'd be great to have you. Uh, Karina, thanks for joining us right here on all business with Jeffrey Hazlett. 
Thank you. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And of course, I've got uh, my good friend, Kimberly Miner, founder of Holistic Living and Health, coming up right after this. And before I get to her, let's talk about what did I learn from Karina? I'll tell you exactly what I learned. I was reminded events lead to sales. You're in the business business, uh, B2B world. If you're in the B2B world, you got to find ways to get together with people. You got to find ways to be able to congregate, demand aggregation of business decision makers, of potential customers. And that happens in events right now. Yeah, certainly it happens virtually. Okay, a little bit. But you also got virtual sales and virtual profits, right? But real stuff, I'm telling you, still belly to belly rubbing kind of things. Those still work. They're still important. But you're just going to do them socially distance. Events lead to sales. And uh, you're not going to convince me otherwise. And you, you know, you could be a millennial, you could be a youngster, you could be whatever. I'm not trying to, to be uh, derogatory, but I'm telling you, events lead to sales. Get people together, show them the product, let them touch it, let them feel it, let them drive that tractor, let them drive that truck, let them see that printer, let them see whatever it is you've got to sell, and you will lead to sales. That's a fact. I learned that right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett and C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. All right, let's introduce my next guest. It's been a rough couple of months for everyone. We all feel a little scattered and shattered. How can we put the pieces back together? Well, my next guest is here to help us glue things together. And I hope she has a big, huge 55-gallon super glue tube. Kimberly Miner is the founder of Holistic Living Health and Wellness, a transformational speaker, consultant, and creator of the Envision You. The transformation starts here, Women's Summit. Hey, Kimberly, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you. So glad to be here. How are you, Jeffrey? Good. Is it sunny in Phoenix? It's always sunny in Phoenix. (laughs) It is. It is. It is. Well, I'm worried about you guys because I've been watching the news lately and you've been really having a lot of surge of the virus. But, you know, hopefully, you know, it's going to stay, stay safe, under control. But my big question for you right now is how do we put all the pieces back together? Well, you start by uh, finding out, you know, where where is it? Have you been? You know, they, where have you been? Where are you now? And where is you want to go? It's really important to really sit down and figure out and put it in writing. Um, most people are really spend a lot of time of having everything up here and they don't spend any time putting anything down on paper and then they try to figure out where it is you know where it is uh where they want to go and they don't understand where it is that they're never getting where it is they want to go and really if you spend some time writing everything down on paper of where is where have i been in my life and where is it in my now we're really in a pivotal time you know with where we've been in this pandemic we've really spent in a time of where we've really been shaken up uh you know we've all been affected of having to really pivot in our business and had to really come into terms with either um our business has been affected uh either we've lost our position or we've had to change how our business functions or we've been uh re-furloughed from our position and we're going yeah. where where what do we do with our position now um and what do I do with my life now and, and what direction do I go in? So where am I, where am I right right now? How do I define myself and what, what does the future look like? And so when you really 
put all that down in writing and where what do what do I want to do with my life going forward? And when you really sit down and put those into categories, it really starts to really put those pieces together of really defining who you are as a person and really what is it that you define yourself, um, of what your strengths and your beliefs are and where you want to develop yourself. Do you think people are really into their head that much about that? I mean, I guess I find myself just, I don't sit around thinking too much about where do I want to go? I, I'm just doing right. So I do, I mean, I, I kind of have a sense of, I have a certain, truly a clear sense of where I'm going, what my goals are, what my, as you mentioned, I think they're called conditions of satisfaction, but do you think people are struggling that heavily with this kind of those bigger decisions? I think what it is is that when people are in a position and they spend so much time in that position is that where they get caught up is that um, they get caught up in the definition of what it is their title is and they're mm. thinking that uh, right. this is what what my title is and they don't think about what it is they've actually done underneath that title and I always talk to people and say what is it they've done if they really stop and think about all the different things I mean think of I, I look at all the different things that you have done. Does it clearly really define what your title is? You are so much more than what your title is, right? right. So if you really look at what you do underneath that position you are, if you write all those things down, you can really start looking what your potential is and right. really look at what it is that your opportunities are. And that really is what it is that I'm talking about is what is your potential? You know, I think that's an interesting piece. I guess i never really think about how, because I, and part of it is I'm just, I don't know if it's cocky or whatever. I'm pretty sure of who I am and what I am. So I don't worry about what others think. And I don't think too much of it. I just, you know, whatever I'm at in the moment, that's what I am, whether it's a husband of a father or a grand, a grandfather, or, you know, or, you know, a podcast host or whatever, but whatever title you want at the time, that's what it is. But, but a lot of us do have a lot of our identity wrapped up in those titles. And uh, I've always said, you know, hey, titles are our currency. It, it, for a, a lot of folks though, I, I do get this sense that there's a void in their lives. And how do we go about filling that void? Well, one of the things is that you have to really start to get in touch with what it is are the things that are have blocking you. And uh, the, the greatest insight of what it is is not the experiences we have in life, it's, it's reflecting on what our experiences are. Um, and when you reflect on the experience you have, then you can really have insight as to what is it that you haven't gotten in your life, what you haven't taken advantage of, what is that I look at the things that adversities that I faced in my life. And those really, when I look at the adversities that happened in my life, I can really then pinpoint what are the things that I have chosen not to look at the silences that are in my life. And when I look at the silences in my life, I can pinpoint the things that I've chosen to overlook. And those are the things that have prevented me from moving forward. We can always, you know, hindsight is always very, very clear. 
and yet we can always look at what it is that has prevented us from making wise choices from making us being able to move forward so you know we can we can sit there and think of a million things as to why it is we're not where we want to be and when we really really stop and look at it and be really truthful and honest with yourself we can always look and figure out why it is we're not where we want to be amen amen to that well speaking about where i want to be i want to be with my advertiser right now so let's take a quick break i'll be right back c-suite radio hey we're live casting and back uh, right here on facebook and linkedin thanks so much for joining us we're uh this is jeffrey hazel and this is all business with jeffrey hazel on c-suite radio i'm talking to kimberly minor the founder of holistic living health and wellness and we're talking about being the best selves so how do we show up to every day to be our best selves i mean there are days when we just don't feel like it there's a lot of days i just i want to just check out like i think a lot of people like nah, i'm going like it's beautiful outside here in south dakota today all this could be like Phoenix temperatures 90. So how do we overcome the feeling of just not doing it and become the best self? Well, you know, I like to look at is especially as a woman, is that, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, feeling like we have to take a couple extra steps, speaking, filling those shoes in a leadership role. Uh, there's so many women that we spend, uh, there, there's only 4% of women that are stepping into leadership roles of Fortune 500 companies right now. And, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, uh, determination and everything else to get into those positions and stuff. And so how do you show up as a leader? You know, for myself, it's a lot of asking a lot of questions. You know, how do we learn? How do we gain insights, you know, to ourselves uh, to, you know, guide others? You know, when I spent 25 years in corporate America in sales and stuff is that, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, going in and instead of trying to tell people what to do is that I would find myself of putting myself in their place and asking them questions of, you know, what, okay, so how are you experienced this? Or if we were to put into this into place, then, you know, how would you see it so that they felt like they were part of the process instead of feeling like I was trying to tell them what to do. So it felt like we were in this whole process together. And then they felt like we were a team player. You get a lot more honey you know, doing it that way than you do telling them what to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were on your side and then it was a lot easier to then go back to the purchasing people and say, Hey, I've got the whole people working on the floor behind me in this whole project and was able to sell the whole thing. So uh, it's a lot more beneficial being a leader by showing as being part of the team than telling people what to do. And that's the biggest issue that you have right now with companies and stuff with when you give somebody a position, you call them a manager. And then all of a sudden they feel like they're telling people what to do. And then you have this disconnect between the people that are underneath them in a managerial position. So, you know, right now, if you can, uh, you know, take away that title and then, you know, call them a mentor, you'll get a lot more, uh, you know, productivity and a lot more community happening, a lot more productivity. So you mentioned corporate sales 
And you did that uh, as part of your sales career um, before you got to this point where you're doing the coaching, you've got the podcast. Um, what are two leadership qualities that created success in your corporate sales career that you've been able to apply over to this new new portion of your life? Uh, two things that I've used is that uh, I have spent the time um, uh, dedication and yeah. perseverance. I mean, I just never gave up. Yeah. You know, it's just go, 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 go. And, you know, I take that all the way back into the time when I was uh, a ballet dancer is that it was about that. Um, I was only as good as I was yesterday. Did you say ballet or belly? <laughs> ballet. Ballet. Okay. Just want to double check. Just want to double check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, that has, that has always stuck with me is that, um, I never counted myself. Uh, you know, I have, uh, tons of awards that are in my office and, uh, all of those were gotten because I, you know, that they, I never let one award be something that was going to carry me always through year after year is that I knew that that war award was only good for that day. And then when I woke up the next day, it was starting from ground zero. Yeah. Wow. So how did you get started on this holistic journey? Um, I started with that because uh, actually uh, four years ago, um, I actually survived three pulmonary embolisms and spent eight weeks in the hospital. And when I was in there, I was saying that um, I really did not want to go back to corporate America. I wanted to uh, do something that really helped empower people. And I wanted to uh, really do something with a lot of the adversities I had faced in my life. And I thought, how do I bring those two worlds together? The experience I had in corporate and, and my adversities. And I thought, well, I really want to help people try to unblock their life and move ahead in their personal careers. And, um, then also help people in their personal lives, um, get past adversities. And I'm like, well, holistic and, business of putting the pieces together, kind of all kind of work together. And that's when I, uh, when I got out of the hospital, I actually, uh, packed up everything and I left Michigan where I was living and moved to Arizona, not knowing one person and started from nothing and built up everything that I have, uh, and with networking and everything else and, and created everything that I have right now and, and started, you know, helping people. How many years ago was that? It was uh, four years ago. Wow. And four years built all this and doing yeah. what you're doing. That's just yeah. fa fabulous. Hey, listen, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back as we uh, end the show. C-Suite Radio. Thank you. We are back with Kimberly Miner, the founder of Holistic Living Health and Wellness from Phoenix, Arizona. She's, of course, the she runs Envision You. It's a virtual summit where you give women the opportunity. I think you were trying to do the, the summit, actually, where you're trying to get together physically and then moved it to virtual, right? 
Absolutely. I did what everybody else has had to do is that I was going to have it physically and then the pandemic happened and I had to pivot. And so I went from physical to global in one heartbeat. And it actually was, uh, I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And it was such an amazing success. Uh, I am, have my cup runneth over. Uh, I have so much gratitude. I have had such amazing feedback. I have had uh, people calling me, texting me, emailing me, telling me that I have changed their lives forever. Right there is special. When you get those kinds of affirmations of what you do and you were able to be a spark for people to be able to live a different way or achieve you know, some level of higher success of leadership, uh, especially for women who who were some of your key speakers? Uh, I had uh, Sherry Wynn, who's a two-time Olympian, uh, basketball Olympian. She was also uh, the head coach for women's head coach for University of North Carolina, had the longest winning record. Uh, I had um, also uh, Mrs. Arizona. So um, it was amazing. And then I had 10 other amazing speakers that who of their own right mind have amazing backgrounds who've worked with uh, entrepreneur women in business and stuff. So it was just women from all over the country. And I had guests that were from all over the world that were on the call. So it was just an amazing day of women sharing their personal stories. So we had breakout sessions. We had uh, success seats uh, of women sharing their stories. It was just an amazing event. Uh, You know, in some ways, you're disappointed that you can't do it face to face. You know, I just had the head of the IMAX on um, the show uh, leading the business uh, expo meeting industry. So you're one hand, you're that. But at the same time, the virtual opens up for new experiences. And some of the people that came wouldn't have come because they, if it would have been a physical event. So it's like, yeah. you got good on one side, bad on the other, but it works out. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to be disappointed when you absolutely, you actually have people coming from all over the world. So uh, I, I am one that is full of much gratitude at the moment. So <laughs> Hard to be disappointed when it's a success. And that's what we're learning right here. Kimberly Miner, founder of Holistic Living, Health, and Wellness. You can find her in Phoenix. Uh, Where else can they find you, Kimberly, in case some people want to reach out to you? Absolutely. They can find me at holisticliving.life. And they can also find me at envisionyousummit.today. All right. You heard it right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Kimberly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the Thought Council and all things in the C-Suite Network. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Jeffrey. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to think about the things that I learned during the show. All right. One, good sense of myself. Okay, that's cool. I hope you got a good sense of yourself so you're not having to ask yourself a lot of questions. But you know what? As my first book, I talked about this, The Mirror Test. Always good to look in the mirror and ask yourself some really hard questions. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Make sure that you're, you know, you're in touch with the, all of the different pieces of where you want to go or to your own condition and satisfaction. But the other piece I remembered, listen, it's hard to be, it's hard to be disappointed when you got success. She's had a great, great event. You know, it got, it got changed. Uh, they moved it. It was going to be live. She said, you know, they're going to have hors d'oeuvres. They're going to have wine. They're going to have champagne. They're probably going to have like one of those little chocolate fountains. You, you, you dip the strawberries. It probably should going to have all that stuff. And that's gone. 
gone overnight, gone, can't do it. And then you're disappointed, but you can't be disappointed when it turned out to be a success. It's just a different kind. That's all. So don't always get yourself caught up into it's got to be this way. As long as your condition of satisfaction is that I took care of the people I was supposed to take care of. I'm successful in what we did. I achieved the goals. Well, what do you care? That was done a different way. All right. That's what I learned today on all businesses. Don't forget to tell your friends about us right here on C-Suite Radio. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.